Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Spawned Parenting Podcast. This is Liz Gumbiner. Christian can't join me today, but we thought it was important to bring in an expert to talk about the coronavirus epidemic, or COVID-19, and how it's impacting our children in particular. I couldn't think of a better expert to bring in to talk to about this than Dr. Ken Ginsberg. For those of you who may remember, he was the guest on one of our most impactful, amazing episodes, episode 184, about learning to treasure the teen years and reframing how we raise teens. And for those of you who don't know him and haven't heard that episode yet, Dr. Ken Ginsberg is a pediatrician, an adolescent expert from the Center for Parent and Teen Communication at CHOP, or Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He's amazing. And today we're going to talk about how the spread of novel coronavirus is impacting our kids, psychologically in particular, and how we can help them get through it the best we can. So welcome, Dr. Ginsberg. Thank you, Liz, and thank you for those uh, very kind words. I'm very happy to be here to support families today. Well, you are such a voice of reason and tough love and expertise. I knew you were the right person for this. So first of all, let me just start out by saying I I feel like it's going to be one degree of separation in no time before we all know someone who's impacted by this, which is in part why we wanted to kind of get ahead of this and talk about it right away. So as for me personally, first of all, I grew up in walking distance from the containment zone in New Rochelle right now where the National Guard has been deployed. So that's a little freaky. And then over the past week, my sister-in-law in uh, Washington, D.C. came home from a trip to Southeast Asia, traveled through South Korea, experienced symptoms, was in and out of the D.C. hospitals, couldn't get tested. Her story went viral on social media. It it was a really crazy, stressful time. She finally got tested. She was negative, but I saw how it impacted our family, her kids, my kids. Like It created a shadow that hung over us. And even with the testing negative, I still feel the impact of it now. So I know there's a lot of anxiety, especially for kids. You know, what we've been saying all week to our readers on Cool Mom Picks is that we want to talk about being prepared instead of panicked. And I know you're the right person to help us do that. So let's just jump right into that. Like, how do we talk about what's going on in the U.S. and in the world right now and do it in a way that doesn't panic our kids? Right. Thanks for asking. I, th- I think that the answer might be a little bit dependent on who your child is and what their age is. But in general, whenever you think of the word anxiety, remember that you can kind of define anxiety as the tiger could be there, could be there, could be anywhere. I don't know where the tiger is. That's a way of thinking about anxiety. It means that you don't know when you're in danger, you don't know what safety is, and therefore it's very easy to get into panic if you think the tiger's about to attack you at any minute. The reason I use this metaphor is, first of all, because I always do when it comes to anxiety, but it's really important to think about now because it means that information matters, that information can actually um, calm a little bit of panic. So whenever you're thinking about a child or a teenager, the first piece of information they need is there are adults who are going to be here and get us through this. They need to know that they're going to be safe and that people are thinking about their safety. That's the overriding message. And let's be clear, our words are really sweet when we choose them. But during times of panic, we don't listen to people's words when their bodies are telling a different story, right? Yeah. So if you're panicking, then it's not the time to go to your children and say, 
I'm good, calm down. It means you need to get your own information until you can actually feel safe. And then you present the information to your children and they're going to believe it when you're there yourself. I'm glad you brought that up. Lisa Damore had a really good article in the New York Times this morning. I'm sure you know her work on parenting teens and girls. Yeah, she's phenomenal. And one of the things she talked about is manage your own anxiety because we need to model that good reaction and good behavior for our kids so they can see that we see calm. I I always equate it to when I'm on a plane and we hit turbulence and I get nervous, I look at the flight attendants because I feel like if they're just chatting as normal, then everything's fine. If they look fine, I'm fine. That is literally what I always say Ah. as (laughs) definition of co-regulation, right? So we must have a mutual friend um, (laughs) because that is the definition of co-regulation. And what we're really talking about when we're talking about decreasing children or adolescents' anxiety is we're really talking about helping them regulate their emotions. We don't do it through lying. We don't do it through falsehoods. We do it by co-regulating. We do it by being the flight attendants who are still serving the snacks because kids read our words. They read the size of our pupils. They read our body language. So we get ourselves okay. And in this particular case, I hate to play doctor, but can I play doctor for a minute? Yes, please. You are a doctor. I am a doctor. So I don't want to be an infectious disease expert here. And what I do want to say is trust what the CDC is saying, trust what the government is giving us in terms of information. But remember that the reason that you know, you mentioned the National Guard being there is because they are working so hard to prevent this from spreading. Mm -hmm. And the reason that this is hard to prevent from spreading is because the vast majority of people are not getting very sick. That is an incredibly important thing for you to know so that we as parents can take deep breaths and communicate confidently to kids that we think we're going to get through this, right? I, I love that. And just to repeat that, because that's really excellent to tell kids, most people are not getting very sick, and that's why we're not seeing so much of it. I think that's very reassuring. It's the reason on those rare diseases where people get very sick, you very quickly know who's sick and you can stop the disease. The issue here is most people are not getting sick, which is why it's spreading because it's hard to know where it is because most people are having a cold or a cough. If I was an epidemiologist, meaning the kind of people who are trying to kind of stop the spread of disease, that's frustrating. If I'm a parent or a citizen or thinking of my own health, and I'm all three of those things, by the way, Liz, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about my own health. I'm going to be taking care of patients. I'm thinking about my children, the love of my life, and I'm a citizen of this wonderful country. And what I know is that most people are going to absolutely be fine, which is the reason that so many efforts are going into figuring out and kind of keeping people away when they've been exposed because 
those people have been exposed otherwise may not know that they're carriers. That's a good thing. That's it, that is good. And I think it's also a good reminder that we as parents may know so much or we may be reading so much that we are thinking, oh, God, how are they going to catch us? How are they going to stop it? But our kids are probably not looking that far ahead. They're probably thinking, am I going to be okay? Is my pet going to be okay? Is my schoolmate going to be okay? Like, it's probably a lot more basic for most kids. I think that's true. And the other good news is that as of now, this is not a disease that is affecting many children in a bad way. So that's a fact that I can state as of today. But again, we're still paying lots of attention to it. But this is also a great opportunity for some major life lessons, because as much as I can reassure my young adult children and reassure, or, you know, you can imagine how many calls I'm getting from friends in addition to patients. And as much as I can be reassuring, I also want to make sure that this is a moment in time where we as communities can protect each other because there are people who are going to be at greater risk. And that's the elderly and especially the elderly with chronic diseases. So you know what I did this last weekend? What? I stopped my relatives' houses with enough medicine and enough food that they're going to be okay because I'm feeling safe, but my job as a human being is to protect other people as well. And what a wonderful lesson to tell our kids. I love that. I mean, I've been saying to my kids, the reason we are not buying all of the Lysol wipes in the stores is because if we have them all and our neighbors have none, it does not help us. We need everybody in the community to be healthy. That is absolutely true. And we all take care of each other and we always think about people who are vulnerable. And when we're not vulnerable, we protect them. What a wonderful life lesson. And I will say, if this is reassuring to our listeners, if they look on my Twitter feed, which is Mom101, the post about my sister-in-law went very, very viral over the weekend. And with maybe one exception in over, I think, two and a half million views, Every person was so supportive, so kind, so helpful, genuinely caring, inquisitive. And I thought this can be the best of who we are. It doesn't have to be the zombie apocalypse, everybody out for themselves. Like we can come together as a community and support each other the way we often do when things are really tough. That's absolutely right. And can we even bring it down even closer to within our homes. I like that. Yes. Yeah. So this is an opportunity when schools might get shut down for a few days here and there as people are trying to figure out how to stop this from spreading. This is an opportunity for our families to have some family time. Can I tell you what one of my daughters said yesterday that was so <laughs> Sure. Wonderful. How old's your daughter? So they're 24-year-olds. Okay. But they're still my little girls. You get that, right? <laughs> Yeah, and you know, my term is uh, they're in flight. Um, you know, I don't have an empty nest. My children are in flight. We have <laughs> like a, a wonderful home that they can return to. And I'm going to be seeing them as soon as this podcast is over. Um, so I do a lot of speaking all over the country. And my talks have been canceled or postponed for the next couple months. And that all happened in the last day or so. And I was telling my family that kind of like it was bad news. Mm -hmm. And what my Alana said is, we're going to have more of you around. Oh, 
This is great. Let's take advantage of this. That's sweet. And you know what? That's actually a great segue for one of the biggest questions that we're getting. A lot of people were asking us to do a post about um, anxiety or how do I talk to my kids about their anxiety? And that's certainly a, a major issue. And I'd encourage people to read Lisa Demore's editorial on it in the New York Times for some tips on that. But what's more interesting to me, I think, what's different is that my social media feeds have been filled with very stressed parents because their kids' events are being canceled. And I think we sometimes forget as parents that we can see the bigger picture pretty easily. Like if I have a party or a benefit or something I've been planning that gets canceled, I know that there will be another one and I'll get over it. But I think we sometimes forget for kids, some of this stuff is devastating to miss a bat mitzvah that you've been planning for for months. Somebody told me that they had Hamilton tickets for like a year and a half and they're they're debating whether they should come in for it. One friend told me about her son had qualified for the Junior Olympics in a swim meet that got canceled. I mean, I think a lot of this stuff is really, really devastating for kids. And so what can we best do as parents to help them get through that? So I love the question. The only thing I'd like to tweak is the beginning of the question, because I don't think we should separate this from anxiety. Okay. Right? This is how you manage anxiety because fear of missing out, catastrophizing, if this happens, then that happens, and then that'll happen. That's all related to anxiety. And helping kids know that something is actually temporary that you're going to get through, which is part of my answer to what you're saying, Liz, now, it's also a really important tool to help people with anxiety. You know, As older people, meaning us, Mm -hmm. we understand a basic truism of life, which is this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. Um, And however bad you're feeling today, when you look back in a week, the pain will not be that serious, right? We have that because we've lived life. Children and adolescents, it's not that they are not capable of understanding it, it's that they don't have that lived experience. So to say it in a condescending way, like if you say to your kids, that's not important, it's not a big deal, look at what's going on in the world, that's going to backfire because that's denying their truth. Yeah, yeah. That's denying their truth. It is, is a big deal. This is disappointing, but we're going to get through this and there's going to be a lot of opportunities for celebrations later. That's the message. The language of resilience doesn't just comfort and deny. That doesn't build resilience. The language of resilience suggests that you have the skills within yourself and we as a unit, as a family unit, as a set of friends, have the ability to stick together and get through this. That's the language. That's a beautiful way to put it. And it reminds me when my daughter, Sage, who's now 12, when she was four, she taught me the most amazing lesson that stuck with me all through parenting. I think we were watching some movie and it was making her scared. And I said, oh, don't be scared. And she looked at me and said, don't tell me not to be scared. She said, saying don't be scared is like saying don't be Sage. And I was like, 
wow from my four-year-old. And so now I, I try really hard not to say, oh, don't be upset because I can't tell them how not to feel. Exactly. And you don't want to, right? What we want to do with things like anxiety or sadness is to not deny the feeling because that only tucks it in and it's going to come out later in uncomfortable ways. Instead, what we always want to do when kids are having feelings is celebrate that they feel that they feel comfortable enough talking to us about what they feel, right? Mm -hmm. And then helping them to leverage those emotions to understand that they will be able to build strength, they'll be able to get back to it, and their sensitivity is the best thing they have going for them. So we don't want to say, oh, you know, Scott will have another party, don't worry about it. You don't want to say that. You do want to say, this is incredibly disappointing, how else can you connect with Scott now? What can you do so that you can support each other? And let's talk about what every parent hates, which is the internet. I don't know. Every I don't hate the internet, <laughs> but I may be strange okay. that way. But the internet, like how much information and misinformation kids are getting, yeah, that can yeah. be scary. So that's true, but that's not <laughs> what I'm referring to. A lot of parents worry about how much time kids spend online with their ah, friends yes. instead of in person with their friends. But now this is going to be an example of using the internet in the best way. It's going to be more time at home, maybe with our families, you know, the people in New Rochelle are experiencing that. There'll be time with our families to make the most of, right? To create peace in the home, to be able to take those moments to do things that you've been just running too quickly to think about doing. And now you're reminded about what matters and sometimes forced to spend more time together. But let's make this a blessing. Let's make this a wonderful thing. But our kids can stay in touch with each other through all sorts of ways that we didn't have. That is so true. And I know that that social isolation, kids really feel that deeply. I mean, my kids are young teens and, you know, my older daughter said to me the other day, actually, it would be kind of good if they closed the schools because they haven't closed the New York City public schools. And I said, what are you telling me? I said, the first day of spring break, you said, I'm so bored already uh -huh. <laughs> because we weren't going anywhere. So I know for kids, even one day without friends or without their schedule or or whatever plans they were looking forward to, it really can impact them. That is a part of adolescent development. That is about the brain and how much adolescents just are on fire in a good way when um, they're with peers. And sometimes that can make us crazy. But remember that this is ultimately how we get grandchildren, right? Is when they get to really enjoy each other. So no, be prepared for the fact that for your teenagers, to the extent that if we do go through a period or their school does get shut down for a few days, it's a much larger effect for a teenager or an early adolescent than it is for us. So let's not belittle it. That's like telling Sage not to be Sage, right? Exactly. So let's not belittle it. Let's acknowledge it, say they're gonna get through it, say that this is temporary, and then figure out how to make the most of it. And the most of it, to me, it's three parts, right? 
Part one is let's spend some really good high quality family time without any technology, things we don't get to do because we're running so quickly sometimes. Number two, let's think about protecting the vulnerable around us because that's one of the best things about being human. And number three, let's think about how you and your friends can really enjoy time virtually. I I think all three of those are great ideas. In fact, we did a post on things you might stock up on that you haven't thought of. And we talked about games and craft supplies and things that kids can do and you can do as a family. (laughs) So I'm glad you brought that up. Let me ask you a few questions from our listeners because we put this out into the Spawned Facebook community and we got quite a few questions. So Kim wanted to know how to balance the honesty with the not knowing, I guess, like without creating more anxiety in her kids. So she wants to say something like, oh, don't worry, I'm sure your concert will be rescheduled. But she said, you know what? I don't know if my concert will be rescheduled or not. What, like, what do I say? Is it okay to say we just don't know? Or how, how do we approach that? I think it's much better to say you don't know when you don't know than to pretend you do know when you don't know. Because this is about trust, right? We're trying to build safety. We're trying to build a sense of safety and predictability. And the easiest way to make the world feel unpredictable is when someone makes you a promise they can't keep. Mm -hmm. So we certainly do not want to give reassurances that are not real. I'm saying, I don't know, but I do know you're not the only person who's going to be really disappointed if this concert is moved. So I'm sure people are trying to think about it. And as soon as we know something, we'll let you know. That is much better than to give a false reassurance, because then you're going to lose the trust when it's really needed. That is really, really good advice. Another listener, Alyssa, asked about, well, I kind of touched on this earlier, how do you talk through information sharing amongst kids? That's misinformation, because there's so much misinformation out there. Even my own daughter came to me and said, I'm really worried about seeing so-and-so because she lives in that containment zone in New Rochelle. And I had to bring out a map and show her that, no, the person does not live in the containment zone and that's not true but she was hearing from school the whole city was shut down and it's right near us so how do we battle the misinformation our kids are getting maybe faster than we can handle it or address it so the first thing in that case what i would have done is i would have reminded her that the uh, containment zone in new rochelle does not mean the people there are sick it is to prevent someone who may have been exposed to having it go elsewhere. Because I wouldn't want to say your friend is going to be fine and these people aren't. I would give them the facts that we know. Yes, and I did that. So I'm glad. I'm really glad. I said to her, she's not sick or you would know it. I said, a lot of people are not sick. And I explained why the National Guard was coming in. It was to clean up and sterilize public areas and keep everybody safe and away from them while they took care of it. So I did all that. I shouldn't have jumped right to the explanation. But (laughs) but that's good. Yes, I do. I do. So that's the first thing I would do. And then um, you should you can just say, really, that doesn't seem right to me. Let's look up on a source that we know is credible. And if your child doesn't know what credible is, what an amazing opportunity. Because Liz, I don't know if you've noticed this, but false information is flying in many directions for a very long time having nothing to do with this epidemic. I have heard such a thing. Yes, I heard that too. So this is a wonderful opportunity to model. I don't believe that that's accurate. What I always do when I'm looking for accurate information is, 
And then in this case, I would go to a state public health department. I would go to cdc.gov, one of the places that has accurate information. And that's a life lesson that will last for a long time. But again, the first thing is your reaction. If the first words out of your mouth are like, oh, God, (laughs) right, that the kid is going to respond badly. So you take the breath. You remember you're the flight attendant still serving the snacks and you say, Let's look into that together. That's great. And then on the other side of things, our listener Renee asked about her husband, who's been obsessed with all the news, and she feels that he's been oversharing. So he's constantly saying, oh, my God, did you hear about this? Or I just read this. Can you believe it? And she mentioned that her kids seem to tune him out, but she's concerned that he's saying too much and creating more fear and anxiety instead of reassurance. And so she wants to know how to have discussions and share info without oversharing and spreading fear? Well, there's two levels to this question. The first thing is, I know some people who I would love to introduce Renee's husband to, because I know people just like that. And what we say to people that we love, who are actually so involved in the news that they're literally looking in front of the TV set and it's just creating anxiety is, I love you, and I'm worried about you, the news will still be there in an hour. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break. Because you got to break this cycle because it's almost addictive to live in fear. So it's really okay to say, I love you so much, and we're going to be very well prepared. Let's create a schedule so that we check in with the news instead of living with the news. I love that. And that's very hard for people. I was just talking about this this morning. Our kids are not growing up at a time that they even know what it was like before there was a 24-7 cable news cycle, that we used to have to wait until, you know, 8 o'clock every night to watch the national news or 5 o'clock to see our local news. Now it's just available all the time, everywhere, wherever you go, including right in your pocket. And during times of anxiety, that is particularly important. And what I really like about where this conversation is going Liz, is, you know, you called me earlier today to say, let's have a discussion about what to more or less what to say to the kids. And I want to just take a breath, go up in the helicopter and pay attention to what we're really talking about, Liz, more than half this conversation. And certainly Renee's question is not directly about the kids. Mm -hmm. It's about being the adult who can co-regulate and sometimes us needing to help other adults co-regulate so that we do not spread panic to the children. I just want to point that out, that most of this conversation is all about adults, 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 adults. And I have to tell you, as a parenting expert who like loves children more than anything in the world, that's the point. I'm so glad. And I love the term co-regulate. It makes me think when you scuba dive, your breathing apparatus is called the regulator. Wow. So something I never would have known, but really cool. Yeah. Can I go back to Renee's yes, husband? Yes, please do. Please, please. It is really okay to say the fact that you are caring so much and staying so engaged is because you are such a protector. And I love being married to someone who is so protective of me and the kids. At this particular moment, the best way to protect them is to let them know that you're okay and that you're not panicking. So we need to create a way 
to get you there. I think that's very astute, and I would not be surprised if Renee's question was actually, I know exactly what to do, but I need to somehow communicate to my husband that he's not doing it right. Right. <laughs> and so you never start with you're wrong. You never start with you're having anxiety. You never start with you're weak. You start with you are a protector. And the best thing about you is your sensitivity and your awareness of what's going around. And that makes me feel protected and good all the time. At this moment, we need you to think about another way to protect. So I guess the next question is about the kids. And I'm very fortunate to have kids that are talkers and they will come to me and be like, mom, I'm really stressed or I'm not sleeping or I'm really having anxiety about this. But I think uh, a lot of kids don't do that. Are there certain signs that parents should be looking for that maybe our kids are more anxious than they are letting on? Um, yeah. So, you know, kids are different in every way. Some kids are talkers. Some kids are retreaters. When some kids get depressed, they get sad. When other kids get depressed, they get angry and filled with rage. Some people reach out. Some people withdraw. You know your kid. You know what their pattern is. And if your kid's a usual withdrawer, then look for that. But if a kid is not a usual withdrawer and suddenly has become withdrawn, that's also a sign. So you're looking for someone to go deeper into their trouble zone or trouble can be spelled when a kid is behaving very differently than you would expect. And the other thing to remember is some people use their words and other people use their bodies. And the people who use their bodies do not always understand that their words could work to get attention or that their words could work to relieve tension. So the people using their bodies are not faking. It is profoundly real. It is a display or the way the body holds stress. So we're talking about things like stomach aches, headaches, dizziness, fatigue, eating too much, not eating enough. These are all signs that the body can be overwhelmed with stress. So watch your child for things that are different. Talk to them and have open communication and look at their bodies to see if their bodies are having more stress than they can handle. And I think back to your original point, don't deny their experiences. Like if they're having a stomach ache, it's probably best not to say, oh, it's nothing, you're fine. Nope, don't deny anything. You know, this is a very large part of my practice and all of these symptoms are real. And the worst thing you can do is tell a human being, no, you're not having a stomach ache because to quote one of my favorite people, that's like telling Sage not to be Sage. <laughs> She'll be happy to know that you're, you're quoting her. That'll make yeah. her very happy. Yeah. So how do you know when it's time to get extra help for your kids, like kids who are really having extreme anxiety or not sleeping or panic attacks? Some kids just, you know, handle things differently than other kids, as you're saying. Like, when do we know that it's time to just get more help than we can provide as parents? Um, trust your instinct. I do not have a formula. I do not have a screening question for you to ask, but you can always say, I'm worried about you, I care, and you deserve to feel better. And right now, you're not feeling your very best. So I'm going to reach out for extra support. 
I'm always going to be here with you, but I think you deserve right now more than I even I can give. I love you deserve to feel better. I think that's a really, that's a beautiful way to put it. Liz, would you be mad at me if I gave a small plug for a page I'd really love people to be able to see? No, not at all. Feel free. So on the Center for Parent and Teen Communication, you know, I'm not there right now, but I'm pretty sure it's under supporting emotional health. We have an article on helping teens towards professional help, um, something like that. I don't know the exact name. You'll find it under supporting emotional health. Sure. And we'll, we'll find it and we'll link it up on the Cool Mom Picks podcast page so people can find it. That would be awesome. It, it, for me, is one of the most important things I've ever written. Why? Because parents are the avenue for kids to get help. And there are ways of doing it that just sound shameful. And it's really, to be honest with you, the way most of us were raised. Things like, you need help. You don't seem to be able to handle this. There's a whole language and a whole strategy that we can use to guide kids in a strength-based way towards understanding what they deserve, understanding what help looks like, knowing that they're going to get through it, that they actually can get better, that this investment of time is worth it. All of that is in one article that, especially during this time, I would love parents to be able to read. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that will be a very helpful resource. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about what we can do in preparation for all of this without panicking. I think a lot of this is assuming that we are all relatively healthy and doing okay. What do we do when someone in our lives is not healthy or has tested positive? Or even, for example, like I have, you know, older parents, they have a lot of risk factors that I don't have. So I'm thinking twice about my kids or us seeing them right now because I want them to stay home and be healthy and not be exposed. What's the best way to talk to our kids when we do know someone who is impacted or more at risk? I think that being honest about the fact that because grandma is 85, we are going to make sure that she is safe and protected. So we are going to make sure that she has enough food. We are going to make sure that she has good medical care. But until we figure this out, exactly how best to handle this, which is why we're listening to what the CDC says, not what Ken Ginsburg says, but what the CDC says about this, we're going to make sure that she's well-stocked. And we may not be visiting her, but we're going to be talking to her every day on the phone so that she knows that we love her as much as we always have. The bottom line is, you know, what I don't want to do is give medical advice on this show, right? That's not what I'm doing. Um, you're asking me how to tell people that there are people who are more vulnerable. And what we do is we support them. And support is both by making sure that they're well-fed, that they're protected, and if social distancing, when social distancing is recommended, we support them to have that social distancing, which sometimes might make a difference in whether or not we visit people we love. But we have telephones, we have Skype, we have ways of continuing to communicate. My kids uh, create funny emojis um, of like bitmojis of the grandparents and send it to them. <laughs> That's awesome. The, the 2020 version of the Get Well card. Right, right. <laughs> well, I think this is also terrific. It's so reassuring to hear your advice, to hear that we're doing some things right and that even the things that we can do better, that there are specific words that we can use that will help our kids get through this. I hope it helps more parents feel like they're not alone in this. This is new for us and that we're all struggling together and that there's a lot of support out there if you need it or if your kids 
need it. Can I give you one line just to use as a mantra? Absolutely. Difficult times are opportunities for human connection. This is an opportunity for us to strengthen our families. I think that's a beautiful way to end it. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Ken Ginsberg. You are amazing. I cannot think of a better person to have had on to talk to us about this today. I feel honored. Thank you. And thank you all so much for joining us for a special episode of Spawned. Thanks to our engineer, John Bowen. And hey, we know you're going to have a lot to say. We would love to have more discussions about this. I think it's so important. You can find us on CoolMomPicks.com, where we're sharing tons of helpful resources, as well as on Cool Mom Tech and Cool Mom Eats. Also, make sure you drop into the Spawned Facebook community. Just look for Spawned Parenting Podcast or Spawned Community. You'll see it come up right on the Cool Mom Picks Facebook page. We'll be having a lot of discussion. We'll be back soon with our next episode. But in the meanwhile, take care of yourselves. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands.